The Strange Tales of Virgil Kaylock. The Curse of the Albion. Chapter 2. Captain was kneeling by the lifeless body of a man. He was one of the older sailors, with the mutton-chop whiskers that are common among seafarers of his age. He was lying on his back, his body perfectly rigid, staring with sightless eyes up into the night sky. His mouth was partially open, as if he had died surprised, in wonderment or in horror. Stand back! Give me room! Make room! Make room! The poor man, what's happened? We don't know, ma'am. Nobody saw. What was he doing? Was he working? Yes, yes he was. On the ropes. Did he fall from the rigging? No. Deck work, ma'am. He was on the deck. Perhaps it was a heart attack. Or a stroke. Very likely. Let's make some room. There's nothing you can do here. I recommend that you all go to your cabins and the men will sort things out. We'll take care of him. You know what to do, McNeish? Yes, sir. Yes, quite so, yes. We'll all go. I'm so terribly sorry, really terribly sorry. If there's anything I can do, I, his family... Thank you, I... Lady Tregascus. Uh, what was his name? Bill. Bill, Bill, His name was Glazer, miss. William Glazer. We shuffled off from the awful scene in silence and gathered in a somber group a few yards away. I think we'd better do what the captain says. What awful luck. Poor man. Awful. Clearly there's nothing we could do that will be of any help. We should leave them to it. It's just terrible. Shocking. Not a good start at all. I will see you all in the morning. Good night. Good night. Good night. Uh, Yes, in the morning. I too will see you all in the morning. Good night, Mr. Gamal. Well, I suppose I ought to go too. Good night, Mr. Kaylock. Good night, Miss Bell. I couldn't face sitting alone in my cabin, and so I hoped I might make myself useful. I helped carry the body below decks. We stowed him in the hull with the crates from the dig, with a view to burying him at sea the following day. There was no sarcophagus for Glazer, no gold or jewels, just a poor dead man wrapped in sailcloth, ready to be cast overboard. I sat on deck in the dark, gazing out across the Mediterranean Sea. Mr. Kaylock, I really don't want to be alone in my cabin right now. I think I'll just sit here for a while. Well, may I join you? Yes, please do. I wish you would. It's still very warm, isn't it? Even with the breeze. He looks so awful. The poor man. So pale. He was like a statue. Perhaps they will work it out and tell us what happened. Do you know, I've never seen a dead body before. I'm sorry, I'm shaking. Yes, it's just awful. Quite ghastly. It's funny. We've all been talking and carrying on over a dead body that's thousands of years old, and somehow it wasn't shocking at all. It was fun. And then when you see death happen so close to you, it's all different. It's real. It's serious. Yes. Heart attack. That's what they said. That's the likeliest explanation, certainly. 
Oh, Mr. McNeish, Mr. McNeish, I would like to express my shock, my sadness for your loss. Thank you, miss. He was a good sort, a sailor all his life. Known him for years. I'm sorry for your loss, too. I really am. It's good of you to say so, sir. Do you know what happened? An accident of some sort? No sign of an accident. Heart failure, then, do you think? Perhaps. How are the men taking it? He was a popular member of the crew. They're upset. Yes, they must be. They're troubled. Really? Robbins found him first. He's in shock. Why? Because when he found him lying there, he saw something else. Yes. Sitting on the dead man's chest was a bird. Good Lord. A seagull of some sort. Not a seagull, Mr. Kaylock. What then? It was an owl. An owl? Is that possible? Possible, but rather unlikely, don't you think? Most unlikely. Uh, Mr. Penhallow, I didn't see you there. Good night, Mr. McNeish. Good night, sir. Miss? Mr. Kaylock? Good night. The men are deeply superstitious. It's rather unfortunate. This sort of thing makes them uneasy. Hmm. They see it as an omen of some kind. Perhaps Robin saw the amulet and the cartouche. Saw something, thought it looked like an owl? In ancient Egypt, the owl was considered a spirit of darkness. It flits in the night between the worlds of the living and the dead, sentinel to the endless stream of souls as they pass into the underworld. But you don't find owls at sea, unless the poor things are stowaway or got hopelessly lost. No, it's ridiculous. Robin says he saw an owl, and McNeish believes him. And you? What do you think? Blazer was one of the men who carried the sarcophagus. Well, we have all handled something from the tomb, every one of us. Yes, Miss Bell. Yes, we have. Each and every one of us. Good night to you. He doesn't like me. I don't think he likes anyone, not even himself. For someone who has made the discovery of a lifetime, many lifetimes, he seems so unhappy. I think it must be true of all archaeologists. They must destroy the thing they love. But it's not destroyed, is it? It's saved and preserved. What I mean is, and I don't know this for a fact, but surely the joy of being an archaeologist is finding the thing exactly as it was left, intact, when it still has a connection to the past, to the people who left it there. As soon as it's pulled from the sand and put on display, the whole thing is ruined, in a way. I really don't know what you mean. It's only stuff. Urns and chariots and jewels and dead people. It's fascinating, of course, but it's still just stuff. Dead stuff. It's better off in a museum than sitting underground, gathering dust. I'm sure you're right. Yes, you are quite right. (laughs) But it has always occurred to me that it's rather strange. What is? Well... That when we bury our dead, we give the whole procedure lots of ceremony and dignity and respect. And of course, it's an absolute sacrilege to disturb someone's grave. Unless, that is, the body is 3,000 years old and under the auspices of a different god. Gods? I think they had quite a few, didn't they? (laughs) Quite a few, yes. So, who are we up against? Well, I suppose Osiris, for a start, god of death, and his henchman Anubis. Anubis? Body of a man and the head of a jackal. It's his job to get the dead into the underworld. Oh, sounds a bit more scary than an owl. Look here, you you don't believe all this, do you? No, of course not. I wouldn't want to appear in the Illustrated News as a credulous fool. I think you'd be lucky to appear in the Illustrated London News at all. It's a highly esteemed publication. I know. It's a terribly impressive job. 
Your family must be very proud. Oh, everybody's incredibly proud of me. It's quite a coup. Big story, big responsibility. Yes, well done. The only problem with responsibility is that if you get it wrong, you are the one who's responsible. I have no doubt you'll do a splendid job. And how do you know that? Well, I don't really know. You just seem like a sensible sort. Oh, a sensible sort? You make me sound like an old colonel. No, sorry. I mean you've got your head screwed on. No, that sounds even worse. You know, I might just put you in the Illustrated London News after all. Good night, Mr. Kaylock. It's Virgil. And it's Dorothy. Good night. After three days at sea, we docked at Malta. What had begun as a celebration had become a somewhat sombre affair. We were all relieved to arrive in dock, and Lady Tregaskis insisted that we find our joie de vivre again on land. We had only a few hours to spend, but it was a tonic to walk the busy streets and see the world going by in the cafes and squares of Valletta. The sandstone gave the entire city a satisfying golden glow in the Mediterranean sunshine. I was invited to have lunch with Lady Tregaskis and the rest of the party, but pleading a headache, I chose to explore the city on my own. Though, if I am truthful, I admit that I would have preferred to be walking in the company of Dorothy Bell. My ambling took me to the Cathedral of St. John. Built in the 16th century and being no more than 400 years old, it seemed to me to be a mere pretender to the title of an historical monument. In its cool interior, I dutifully found the Caravaggio and the illustrated life of St. John the Baptist by Mattia Preti, and was on my way out when I noticed in the gloom the kneeling form of a sailor. McNeish. He was in a side chapel, praying. As I watched, he turned and caught my eye. Caught me, watching him. I nodded an embarrassed greeting and made for the door where I was hit by the full glare of the Maltese sun at noon. I walked across the cathedral square and wandered down into the maze of narrow streets. I had no notion of where I was going, and my ambling led me further and further into the labyrinthine alleys of the old town. It was cooler in the shade, but the air, trapped by the high-walled houses, was quite stale, and the smells of the streets somewhat overpowering. In places, the ancient sandstone walls had deteriorated so badly that it seemed that their collapse was imminent. Before long, I found myself disorientated and alone in a dark, blind alley, and turning on my heels to return the way I had come, I found that my path had been blocked by a large and fearsome dog. Oh, God! It stood in the middle of my path, blocking my way. It was a beast, jet black, with ears that stood high on its head, its lips pulled back over its exposed teeth. Where had it come from? Had it followed me? Its eyes held mine with what seemed to me a personal hatred. I had no idea how to defend myself. I stood transfixed. There was nowhere to run. I stared at it helplessly, waiting for it to strike. It moved, slowly, deliberately towards me. Niche was there, waving a stick at the beast. Away with you! Go out! Get away! The dog turned and ran and was gone. Mr. Keylock, are you hurt? No, 
Uh, I'm quite all right. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a ghastly encounter. You're unarmed? Uh, yes. Yes, thank you. Though what might have happened had you not arrived... Well, these streets are dangerous, Mr. Keylock. Pickpockets, mostly. I followed you. Oh, and I'm grateful. Thank you, really. Oh, goodness. I must sit down. Oh, here, sir. Sit down here. We have not spoken for a few days, sir. No. There's been a difficult time for you, I know. And the crew, too, of course. Well, we carry on, sir. I am full of admiration for you and your men. You get on with the job, and a fine job, too. You deserve a moment of contemplation. I saw you just now in the cathedral. There is something amiss, sir. Sorry, amiss? What is amiss? Something wrong. On board. Mr. McNeish. Now, you've noticed it, sir? No, Mr. McNeish, I can't say that I have. Well, the men have. They've noticed it. It's odd. What is odd? This ship, this cargo, it's all wrong. It's evil. Mr. McNeish, an owl is not a... There is something moving about the ship. What? I should think a lot of us are moving. You know, know, he speaks to it. The mummified corpse. Who? Penhallo? Well, he is the only one that can. Look, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be dismissive, but... When you work a ship, you know when it's not right. It's moving about. Mr. McNeish, you have my greatest respect, but... Well, you know that's absurd. And even if it were, as you say, well, there's not so much I can do about it. That's a shame. The crew are good men, I know. I picked them. Whatever it is you've brought on yourselves, the men don't deserve it. And they will not stand for it. And with that, he walked off. I felt shaken. I collected myself for a minute or two, and then I found my way back to the harbour. Welcome back, Mr. Kalock. Thank you, Captain. I hope I've not held you up. No, no, quite on time. But we are missing a crew member. We must wait for a while, I'm afraid. Fine by me. It happens sometimes. A sailor will get lost or enjoy himself a little too much. He'll be in a bar, no doubt. If he's not back shortly, McNeish and the men will have to go and find him. In that case, I may as well wait here on the quayside. We will be on the boat for some time, I think. Ah, likely to be a week before Gibraltar. Excuse me. Yes. Yes, of course. Virgil, where were you? We all had lunch without you. Dorothy. Yes, I wanted to see the sights. Good lunch. I wish I'd come with you. We've all spent too much time talking and lunching. Have you heard? One of our sailors is missing. Yes, drunk somewhere, probably. I don't think so. His name is Richard Cobb. He doesn't drink. Lost, then, I suppose? McNeish thinks he's left us. Really? He says the crew are unhappy. Sometimes, he says, men just leave, disappear and turn up on a different boat somewhere. We don't want to start losing crew. They seem frightened. Deeply superstitious. I think I might be turning a little superstitious too, actually. Really? But you're the colonel with his head screwed on. (laughs) I am, usually. But I know what they mean. That body in the hold. It seems to be in the back of my mind the entire time. Even Lady Dragascus says she finds it unsettling. I even dreamt about it. Ships are strange places. I dreamt that I belonged to him. To Tepi, to the Pharaoh, that I was a servant of some sort. I was being buried in sand, alive. Someone was pouring sand over me. It was in my mouth, my ears. I was drowning in sand. I tried to see who it was. And who was it? 
The pharaoh? No, it was a man. Well, it had the body of a man and the head of a dog. Anubis. But I told you all about him, you remember? That's why you dreamt of him. Yes, I know. But it was so strange. It, it was so strange. Look, in three weeks we'll all be home, safe and dry, journey's end. We'll all be at the centre of a terrific brouhaha and your story will be read by absolutely everyone. You'll be quite famous. Terribly exciting. You'll be so famous, in fact, that you might not be humble enough to go for tea with me. Tea? With you? I'm not certain that my humility will stretch to tea with you. I may be busy being humble with the rich and influential. I shall gauge my humility nearer the time and let you know. Thank you, if you would. Richard Cobb did not return to the ship. He had disappeared, and we set sail for Gibraltar. Though we continued with an endless round of drinks and lunches aboard, the days passed in a joyless fashion. It is a peculiar sensation to be aboard an unhappy ship. There is no escape. The melancholy seems to spread to every corner, to every rope and plank. There are no distractions from it, no new faces or surroundings. The unhappiness engulfs you and the ship and then spreads out beyond to the horizon. It's calm! They found calm! They found calm! Mr. McNeish, what's going on? There was no reply from the bosun who brushed past me with a few of the men. I followed them into the hold. Even with the Mediterranean sun burning the deck, below ship was a sepulchral gloom. The sailors had gathered around a crate in a storeroom. Some held kerchiefs to their faces. The lid had been pulled off, and they were staring down into it. What is it? What's going on? I recoiled as I was hit by the stench. A wave of putrescence flowed from the crate. But then I saw. The crate held the wheels of several chariots stacked in rows, wooden panels presumably also from the chariots, and the body of the missing man, Cobb. He was positioned sideways in the box, stacked like the wheels and panels, his face looking up over his shoulder, as if suddenly surprised by a devil only he could see. Chapter 2 of The Curse of the Albion, written by John Ram. Virgil Kalock was played by Nicholas Bolton. Young Kalock, Daniel Fraser. Lady Tregaskis, Abigail Thor. Robert McNeish, David Fielder. Dorothy Bell, Ellie Turner. James Penhallow, Matthew Pigeon, and Tarek Gamal, Montgomery Wigglesworth. The music was composed by Neil Brand. The Strange Tales of Virgil Kalock are supported by the Arts Council Lottery Fund and produced by Richard Varman, Martin Malone and John Ram. It is a Kalock production. <laughs>